Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Friday, January 29th, and you're very welcome to this weekend edition of Inside Politics from the Irish Times. I'm Pat Leahy. Yesterday, Pascal Donoghue published the government's debt sustainability report, outlining the growth in the national debt and the views of the Department of Finance and how manageable it all is. While the numbers are enormous, the debt grew by 20-odd billion last year and is projected to do the same again this year, and will end up at about $240 billion by the end of this year, the current stance of central banks is that governments should borrow these vast sums to pay for the pandemic. So much of the markets bought into this approach that the cost of borrowing for the Irish government has fallen to historic lows, and the cost of servicing the national debt this year will actually be smaller than last year, even though the debt itself is bigger. Figure that out. But these are extraordinary measures for extraordinary times. And when the pandemic passes, as it will, no matter how hard that is to imagine right now, governments will be required to broadly align their current expenditure with their revenues to pay their way without recourse to borrowing for the day-to-day costs of running the state. No state can afford to permanently run large budget deficits. Sooner or later, the debt will reach unsustainable levels. We will, as Pascal Donoghue observed yesterday, emerge from the pandemic with a larger state. We will then face a choice of whether to shrink that state or to expand its revenues in order to meet the costs. Either way, this looks to me like a political trap. To discuss these issues, I'm joined by Managing Editor and Chief Economic Commentator Cliff Taylor. Hello, Cliff. Hi, Pat. And by the Labour Party Senator and former Trade Union Economist, Marie Sherlock. Hello, Marie. Hi, Pat. Cliff, can I turn to you first? Much of the increase in public expenditure is to deal with COVID, but not all of it is. Uh, Even if you leave aside the pandemic issues, there has been an increase in current expenditure paid for by borrowing that both Irish government policy and European rules would have prohibited prior to this. So when do you think the need to address the that imbalance will hit? Is it the next budget or the one after that? Or how do you see it playing out? You're starting with the easy question, I see. Yeah, it's funny, I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this today and I was writing my column uh, and I predictably fudged that, fudged that question because I'm not sure of the answer. I suspect it mightn't be in the next budget. I suspect it might be the one after that before the really hard decisions have to be taken. But I do think the issues are going to start uh, bubbling up this year politically. Um, I think the trigger for that will probably be when the government publishes its uh, next returns to the European Commission in April, the Stability Programme Update, as it's called. And you might remember in the last budget, because of the uncertainties, there were no financial forecasts made beyond this year. So we don't know what the government expects borrowing to be. 
in uh, 2022 or 2023. Normally in the budget, you get, you know, five years in advance or whatever. So that is, is going to be what has to be produced in April now for the European Commission and what the government has promised to do. And I think that is going to highlight the kind of issues that you're talking about, that spending is now on a really significant upward path. I, th- I think the interesting thing about the debt report, normally it's designed to kind of, or seems to be designed to scare the life out of people. Normally the politicians, the minister of the day, the opposition, the public and everything. And it's kind of the Department of Finance's uh, case why spending should be kept under control. But in terms of the actual emergency money spent on dealing with the pandemic, the once-off costs, it is actually pretty sanguine and that the government can continue to carry that cost, that, that could, we, we can live, if you like, in the longer term with a higher level of debt. Uh, that is involved in that. But as you say, there are also longer term commitments here. Some of them are are to do with the pandemic directly. For example, I think we're going to have greater social protections for people in work when they're laid off for short term periods uh, and to help companies through short term difficulties, you know, a bigger state in those areas in future. And that, I guess, is directly related to to the pandemic, as is a lot of higher spending in in the health service. You know, there's no way that's going to be rolled back or, or, or much of it anyway. But remember but that even before the pandemic, we were heading this direction anyway, in terms of state involvement in key areas. I mean, housing is the, is the clearest example. Uh, big state investment in housing planned. I think who, whoever came to power after the last general election uh, would have agreed to that. Um, so inevitably now we are seeing uh, that move towards towards a bigger state and, 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 and the... Uh, and, and the development of a debate, I think, on, on, on how to pay for it. Marie, the governments and central banks appear to, they appear keen to avoid the mistakes made in the aftermath of the crash of 2008. And in, in a way, it seems that the kind of central gravity in policymaking has shifted to the left. It is shifted in favour of uh, of a bigger state. But even though, you know, and even if, as Cliff says, governments can endure these much heavier debt burdens in part due to lower interest costs, on a current expenditure basis, that will still have to be paid for by greater revenues, won't it? It will. I suppose there's a, there's a few points here. Firstly, in terms of this debate about debt and being able to manage debt and when when is it going to become a crunch issue in the Irish political system and and, and obviously for the public finances. Um, I'm not so sure it's going to become a crunch issue this year unless it's politically made so, um, unless a a crisis is manufactured to put it uh, centre stage. Because uh, to be frank, and you know, and Cliff touched on this, you know, when you look at our debt servicing, our effective interest rate on, on, on Irish debt is, 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 is less than 2% at the moment. Um, and while our stock of debt is very high, um, what really matters is the debt, repay, is the debt servicing um, capacity. And, and, and we're in a, an exceptionally good place on that. And, and so I suppose to me, the key issue is how we talk about our deficit and our debt. 
Why do we have them? And, you know, again, Cliff talks there that the report is relatively sanguine, but generally it's, it, it's designed to scare the, the bejesus out of, out of most, of us, most of us. Well, actually, one of the things is that I think we need to really have that conversation of how we talk about debt, because when I look at the report and it talks about, you know, debt per person in this country, you know, that to me is utterly disingenuous. We never so talk kind of about... Meaningless stuff, well, well, we, we never, ever talk about GDP per person and a figure is put up there or we don't talk about tax revenue generated per person but yet we want to kind of put this personal responsibility on everybody this guilt on everybody that we're all required to you know cough up for this debt and of course like you know the macro economy we're not talking about households here we're talking about the macro economy and so there's the the benefit of you, you we need to talk about why this debt exists and obviously is to ensure that um that households and communities and society and, and indeed our and businesses can survive now and into the future and that we're not incurring costs now that will only get bigger into the future. And I suppose, Pat, to get back to your question, that has been the lesson learned um, compared with the response from the, the, the financial crisis, that there was a cost to uh, the, 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 the austerity, to the cutbacks, that communities and households and businesses were reaping for many years afterwards. And we need to ensure that those costs now um, are not uh, taken on by households and that they can, you know, get to the other side of the pandemic. And yes, it is imagined to, 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 hard to imagine the other side of the pandemic, but we will get there at some stage. And so in that context, then, you know, we need to think about, you know, why it's important that we need to borrow as opposed to this negative thing. And that has been the prevailing uh, attitude and message and communication from government over the last number of years is that this is a dirty thing, it's a bad thing, when in fact, actually, when we're, we need to think about investment for the, the medium and longer term, then, then borrowing, you know, has its use. Yes, for current expenditure, as a general rule of thumb, we should be able to raise um, sufficient taxes to cover that. But when it comes to investment, then we need to be able to you know, think of borrowing as a positive thing, that it's a good thing that we can borrow at such low rates as opposed to, um, you know, we all recognise that if we want to buy a house, that, you know, a mortgage, being able to access mortgage is a good thing. Well, it's, you know, it's the same, it, 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 it's similar for an economy. But as things stand, even if you strip out the pandemic costs uh, that are that have been put into current expenditure, the current expenditure, and let's say the, the, the pandemic passes, the the current expenditure will not be supported by the levels of taxation that we went into the pandemic with. So you're left with this imbalance. Am I, am I, am I wrong in that? Because that seems to me to be the crux of the political problem. I don't think that there are policymakers anywhere who are saying, you know, that the levels of debt taken on during the, the pandemic crisis need to be bridged through cuts in public expenditure that gives you a second age of austerity. I don't think anybody is suggesting that. Not yet. But there is still an imbalance or there will be an imbalance between uh, between current expenditure and current revenue, speaking very roughly, which will have to be met either by the reduction of one or the increase of the other. And I think it's very widely accepted that pre-pandemic, that Ireland very much found itself in a, a low spend, low tax environment when, when we compare with many other uh, EU member states. 
Um, uh, and uh, now, of course, within certain sectors, it's not necessarily low spend. You look at health, for instance, we spend above EU average, but it's the allocation of that money, like 26% of health spending in this country is, is, goes into the hands of private insurers and into private hospitals. So, you know, we need to look at the allocation of money. But to go back to your point, yes, there is absolutely an issue here with regards to how we finance the state um, uh, into, into the future in, in a sustainable fashion. And I suppose there's two things to say on that. Firstly, I think, you know, where we should be able to imagine, you know, that there's been a number of sacred cows or things we never thought previously imaginable are imaginable now in terms of support to a childcare sector, in terms of the level of supports within the health uh, sector, telemedicine, embracing that, and indeed uh, buying up capacity or, or, or certainly leasing capacity as necessary in health. So we, we can imagine, uh, I suppose, a, a, a different type of state now. But in terms of the, 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 the financing of that, well, there's three things. Firstly, you know, the pandemic, we hope, is a once-off, um, once-in-a-generation event. And of course, we don't know that. Um, but I think we've all learned a lot about epidemiology over the last number or about about uh, um, about viruses, certainly over and that there may be another crisis coming down the line. But but if we assume it's a one in a generation event, then there needs to be one a once off taxation event to, I suppose, pay down some of that uh, debt that has been accumulated that directly relates to the pandemic. And it's really interesting if you look in the UK, uh, the London School of Economics of a Commission and Taxation, and they produced a really important report there just before Christmas looking at wealth, and they're calling for a, a once-off wealth tax um, on citizens in the UK uh, at a rate of 1% above a particular threshold. So that's something that, you know, we need to start talking about here, a once-off tax um, event. Number two, there's a number of low-hanging fruit within our tax system. And again, you know, when you look at how uh, corporate gains tax and stamp duty have been calibrated over the last number of years to um, very much appeal and appease demands by certain elements of the business community, not all, but certain elements of the business community, then I think we need to look at how we recalibrate that, particularly with regards to the rate and the exemptions within capital gains tax and indeed for non-residential stamp duty. And then number three, you know, we do need to look at um, uh, our corporate tax rate, and, I'm, I, and as a starting point, the minimum effective, a minimum effective corporate tax rate. We have one for personal income taxes. No reason whatsoever we shouldn't have one for for a corporate tax rate. And you know, as Cliff has written about so often, you know, the, the, there are decisions that most likely will be foisted upon us coming down the line. Um, but we we have the capacity to act in advance of that, particularly when you look at the BEPS process, when you look at the digital sales tax debate that's taking place across Europe at the moment. So that is an area we need to move on. And I suppose that the last area, and it's really, you know, relates to, um, I, I, I suppose, the uh, rate of PRSI, so pay-related social insurance that both employees and employers pay in this country. And, you know, to say that there's a lot of employers at the moment who are in huge difficulty, but I think it is accepted that we need everybody to be paying um, or, or certainly we need employers paying more for what might be called the social wage. We realise now that, you know, it's uh, that like in order for to attract employees, to keep employees, they need to be able to access public services like 
good housing, like education, like a good health service. And so that can't all be taken on by the employee themselves, that the state needs to stump up and therefore there needs to be perhaps a higher rate of PRSI. And it's interesting that IBEC have, um, you know, very much, I won't say very much, but have certainly made very positive noises about that over the past few months because they realise too that we're not going to resolve this housing crisis we're not going to resolve the childcare issues, affordability issues, which ultimately, if we do resolve, make it easier to attract and retain staff in particular parts of this country. Um, so I think, you know, we need to open up all those debates um, over the coming months about how we finance uh, our, um, our, our economy and, and our, our public services into the future. Cliff, there tends to be an inexhaustible number of ideas uh, of, about things that the, the, the state should do for people and services that the state should provide. But a similarly inexhaustible list of reasons as to why I or you or Marie shouldn't be the ones to pay for them with increased taxes on us. I have a long list of other people that uh, should, uh, uh, should be subjected to tax increases. But... What's your view of the politics of that? I mean, it sounds like, and it seems to me, that some level of tax increases will be unavoidable. And the approach of government tends to be to spread that uh, as thinly uh, as thinly as possible upon yeah. as large an area as possible. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be, I think this is going to be the meat and drink of it and it's going to be a tricky one politically. And as you know, Pascal Dunne, who is to set up this commission on tax and welfare. And the idea on that is to come up with some thinking in this area and some recommendations. And I think this plays into the idea that we're maybe talking about a 2022 issue rather than one that's going to rear its head this year fully anyway. Um, but if he's, if he's looking for a political cover from that or any kind of a cross-party consensus on the lines of what we saw in Slaunch Care, for example, I think... I think he's probably wasting his time because you know there's going to be there's going to be fights over this. Where do you look for for new money? I mean, I'd I'd agree with Marie on one thing in that I think PRSI is a is an area that's definitely going to be targeted. And as you say, we always want other people to pay, so it's it's good to get employers to pay a bit more. Everybody thinks, apart from the employers, and and given the low rate of employers PRSI here, I I think that is uh, that is certainly going to be subject to a to a significant hike over the next few years, probably on some kind of calibrated basis. Maybe not ideal when you're coming out of a pandemic and there's a job crisis coming up uh, in, in that you're increasing the cost of employing people. Uh, but with greater social protections likely, it's, it's probably unavoidable. It, it does get more difficult if you're talking about increasing PRSI on, on, on people, on employees as well. But I kind of think that's probably going to be unavoidable because... If you're looking at raising large amounts of money, you need to hit large numbers of people. Uh, and if the government finds increasing income tax impossible, and it says it does, well then PRSI is the is possibly one of the one of the uh, only other places that you can look to. Uh, I, I'm not sure I agree with Marie in terms of corporation tax in the sense that we've got such a huge gain out of that over the last few years. I, I think the uh, I, I think. The goal is going to be to try to hold on to as much of that as possible, while while maybe changing some of the allowances and uh, special special measures that allow companies to pay a long way below the uh, you know the twelve and a half percent rate. 
But there are other issues, I think, that are going to come into the picture. Marie mentioned a wealth tax there. And I think it is an issue that's going to be looked at. Uh, But one of the difficulties is it's international experience suggests it is a difficult one in terms of actually raising a large amount of cash. You know, maybe it makes people feel better that the wealthier are being hit or the super rich are being hit or their special allowances or their ability to stay outside the country for large periods of the year are being tightened or or whatever it is. But I suspect the amount of money that might come from that may not be uh, may, may may not be enormous. Um, so then you come back to other things. The local property tax has been has been dodged and ducked as an issue now for uh, for eight or nine years in terms of the reform of that. Uh, it really is an area that needs to be looked at in terms of uh, in terms of funding local authorities. And you come on to other tricky ones like the retirement age. Um, that's been put to another commission because the government didn't want to face up to it. Uh, but you're probably talking about something that costs four or five hundred million a year in terms of putting off the decision that the age should should, should increase. So these are going to be, I think, the meat and drink of the uh, of the debate we're going to see over the next uh, over the next few years. And I think, you know, there are various things the government can do to make people feel better and hit 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 the real high rollers and hit the big companies. But if you want to raise a lot of money, you have to hit. A lot of people. Uh, that's what experience tends to suggest, and that's uh, that's where it gets difficult. Marie Cliff is is you know saying that there's likely to be fights about this. My view is that there should be fights about this. I mean, the size of the state and who pays for it. These are kind of the the central organizational and distributional questions of politics, and people have legitimately different views on this, which they should in turn put before the voters and uh, allow the voters to choose. So I, I, I for one kind of look forward to these fights. Well, I think one of the difficulties when you start talking about taxation is that, you know, if you start talking about any of the technical aspects of taxation, you immediately lose people, right? Um, I don't believe there should be a change in the uh, the rates of income tax anytime soon. In fact, for a long time, there's no need to change the rates of income tax at the moment. And we have the USC in situ and that's not going to go away. Um, or so it seems, notwithstanding initial government commitments. And so I don't think that there is a need to, 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 to do much in terms of the, um, the, 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 to do anything in the space for, for workers on average incomes at this point in time, except, right, this is where you can get into looking at the, 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 the tax, um, uh, not credit, but the, 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 the 1350, the uh, tax credit. Tax it, yeah. Exactly, that, that, you know, for high income workers, do they need to get that, right? We need to look at the precise detail within corporate gains tax. Do we need to have an entrepreneurial relief? Do we need to have a reduced rate? That's um, all pretty small potatoes, though, isn't it? But no, but, but, but the point is, right, and that's why a commission is really important, right? Because in some ways, you see, the very minute you start trying to, to have these big debates across the airwaves about what type of tax system, you're going to lose people in terms of the, you know, the small potatoes. But, the sm- but they're all really important in ensuring, A, that we have a fairer tax system and, B, that we build it up towards a more sustainably funded 
um, uh, system of public services over the long run. So I, I, I suppose maybe it's the economy, you know, the, 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 the policy person in me wants to look at the detail as opposed to saying, oh, we're moving income tax up by 2% or cutting by 2%, which inevitably those, I think, you know, who want the debate want to see us argue about. But I don't think that debate is going to play out um, because I think there's, a, there's an absolute acknowledgement now that this pandemic will have exacerbated inequality in this country or has exacerbated inequality in this country. And when you look at the uh, low-income households working in, in, in particular sectors, so like the retail sector, like the wholesale sector, like the hospitality sector, you know, they, th- those sectors uh, uh, will, will suffer damage and the people working in those sectors will suffer that legacy effect perhaps for many years. People working in other sectors won't have experienced that same difficulty at all, at all. And I think we just need to be very careful about changes we do need to make to the tax. We need to make changes to the tax system, but, but who it affects um, over the, the, the medium and long term. Because, you know, being honest, some people are now faced with having to retrain for different jobs. And other people, okay, they're sitting at the edge of the bed, they're having to put up with crap conditions in terms of working from home, but they've got their job, they've got their income coming in. We see the savings rate in this country at the moment, it's gone up to 35%, you know? And, and obviously that has led some to believe that we're going to have a very large boost to consumption, uh, to consumer spending when this pandemic uh, is over. You know, who knows? We don't know whether people will be a bit more conservative and cautious about their spending or not. We don't know. But I think the thing is, Yes, a debate does need to be had. I'm not sure Pat is going to play out in the way that um, perhaps some would like it to play out because I think it does need to be nuanced. And ultimately, it is about um, changing, uh, you know, at, at, well, 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 like something like corporate capital gains tax needs, to, needs an overhaul. Um, but something like income tax, well, that's a much more sensitive issue. And I think certainly the argument is not proven at the moment that we need to have a substantial increase in rates. I mean, income tax cliff, I suppose, is where, as Marie says, the real political sensitivity hits. And I've no doubt that, um, you know, someday in the future, you you will end up on one of these grand state run commissions, which are intended to which are intended, you know, to provide politicians with easy answers to questions to which there are no uh, easy answers. I mean, if you look at, say, income tax, one of the you know, Ireland is an outlier in 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 Europe. Uh, or say, if you you know, if you were to compare the Irish income tax system to many European income tax systems, the chief difference uh, is that people on low to medium incomes pay very little income tax here in comparison to what they pay in places like Sweden. And uh, and Germany, which have those bigger states, which we may now be assembling, and um, you know, who knows what the as yet unformed commission is going to find. But I can guarantee you one thing: it's not going to recommend that people on lower incomes should pay uh, should pay more income tax. And uh, Pat, can I just interrupt for a second? Right, like people, yes, they may pay relative to other high income countries pay lower income tax, but they're paying far more in terms of their housing, their access to their health, in terms of childcare. For sure, the cost of living is uh, is is obviously much higher here, and the level of services in in things like childcare and healthcare that is received in return, I suppose, for uh, for income tax is much lower. I abso- absolutely take that point. Sorry, Cliff. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a good point. And I think one of the things that would be really useful for the uh, commission to scope out is to look at to look at income tax and PRSI in in a few different countries and look at what people get in return. Um, so, for example, one of my uh, one of my sons has just gone to Germany and be paying kind of a higher rate of social insurance there. But as part of that, he effectively gets health insurance, you know, which removes another huge cost from his budget. So, I, I think uh, you know there is a debate on increasing things like PRSI. But if if there's going to be any public support for that, I think people are going to have to see the payoff on the other, you know, very much on the other side in terms of uh, what they're going to get back in return, if that debate is ever going to be won. I think you're right that the income tax is obviously always going to be central to tax debates. And particularly when you look at the way that Sinn Féin set out its stall in the last uh, general election campaign, uh, one of their key cash-raising proposals was, you know, an, a, an extra income tax levy, or I think it was a 3% on, 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 on higher incomes, versus what Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil are saying ruling out higher income tax under any, you know, pretty much under any uh, any circumstance. So I think there you have the divide, you know, Sinn Féin looking at, uh, looking at higher taxes on higher earners and the government, you know, ruling out any, any income tax changes at all. I mean, as you say, when you do look at international comparisons of our income tax structure, higher tax people do generally, do generally p- probably pay a bit more than the average, certainly in terms of marginal rates. And I think Generally, overall as well, when you get to the when you get to the higher levels, middle earners may be roughly the same, and lower earners, you know, particularly lower earners with families uh, doing well. But then, you know, you come back to the debate of what you get in return, and as as Marie said, the other costs. Uh, and uh, I guess the conundrum is that even though they pay, even though they pay low tax, um, the lower earners, you know, still face a relatively high high cost of living. So um, that's that's the political difficulty of this. Can I just say, like, I suppose, you know, Cliff has touched on something very important there, right? It's about, like, what people get back in return, right? And, you know, we have this argument about tax need to go up, but tax need to go down, and who pays and whatever else. And my colleague Jed Nash, you know, always talks about this unwritten social contract. And, like, what does that mean to the, the person at home? It, it, you know, it's, it's, it's what they get back in return, for, you know, in terms of knowing that there's an education system that functions out there, that they can get health in a timely manner, that they, you know, that if, you know, God forbid, if their child is diagnosed with autism, that there is a, that there is services out there and indeed that there is affordable housing. And I suppose, again, right, like that debate, we need to find a new language about, you know, how, um, why, uh, funding, uh, why ensuring that we have a sustainable public finances is important. And I'm not sure any of us on the left have really got it right um, over the last number of years. Um, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about debt, you know, where we, we, we talk about debt as a bad thing as opposed to something that, that's a means to an end. And I think in terms of if people can, 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 can see why it's important to pay then it, you know, that that then and, and and why it's important that everybody pays and in an equitable manner. Because to be frank about it, I think there is a resentment out there that um that you know there has been a lot of focus um by the by 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 well I suppose this government is relatively new, but by the previous government um on ensuring that there was tax measures put in place. For um, you know, particularly with regards to let's say some of the CGT measures, 
Um, and, 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 and a kind of a real Ulster says no approach to doing anything with regards to corporate tax or indeed, uh, you know, um, tax that, you know, is, uh, I suppose, that affects business or, or, or other high-income individuals in this country because it's fear, oh, will we'll, 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 we'll scare them away. And I think there has been um, an, an unfair debate around all that. And we need to try and find a new language. And I'd be the first to say we need to find a new language. We need to find a way to actually reach out to people and communicate to people um, about why public services, and I don't like that term because you know, people don't fully understand, you know, why an education system, why a health system, why a tran- public transport is important and why it needs to be funded. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think I think a lot of this really goes back to the crisis that struck in 2008 and the aftermath of it and the austerity. And, and you know, then after that, we saw the water charges, marches, and it seems to my mind to have kind of broken the link in people's heads between taxes and spending and between that idea of, you know, paying something in your taxes and getting something back in your services, because people just felt it was unfair and therefore decided they didn't want to pay any any more taxes. And I think that has really kind of damaged the debate since. And it's damaged kind of policy action since as well. You know, we saw it, I suppose, in the water charges. Uh, that idea was abandoned. Uh, it's hit investment surely in, in, in the water network in the meantime, or it's meant money has had to come from somewhere else. And and the ridiculousness of the local property tax where you have houses, anyone who's moved into a new house since 2013 has not had to pay the tax at all, whereas their neighbour up the road, you know, in an old house is paying three or four or 500 euro a year. Uh, it's a small example, but I think it's just a, it's just a symptomatic of kind of the way that politics here has kind of moved back from that debate and any idea of increasing taxes or increasing charges or putting extra uh, obligations on people is just uh, has has just been a no a no no ever since the, uh, the, the, the you know the period of austerity and i think as you say we need to find some way out of that i mean those questions are unavoidable cliff aren't they yeah but just 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 i suppose to kind of maybe have a go at both sides of the both sides of the debate if we're talking about taxing wealth or, 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 you know, taxing the wealth that people have. I mean, the main wealth of Irish households is their, is, is their houses. So why, for example, are Sinn Féin opposing any changes in the local property tax or, or the local property tax at all, actually, because they, they, they want it abolished, as I understand? Because that is a charge on people's key asset. That is a charge on people's wealth. And, you know, and, and if you were to look then at uh, the obsession of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael and some of the right-wing parties with inheritance tax and making sure that it's cheaper and easier for people to pass on assets, primarily their family home, to their kids, well, there's another way of taxing people's wealth. You know, if you want to tax wealth, the easiest way to do it is, 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 is via people's inheritance. You can try and create some kind of a general wealth tax and get people to declare their wealth. And, you know, there have been attempts to do it, and I do think that's going to move back on the agenda. But there are easier ways to do it in the short term. It's just, politically, it seems really difficult to go there in any of these routes. Marie, these questions, by their nature, tend to break down on a sort of left-right axis. Do you think that they will accelerate that sort of left-right divide in Irish politics that... I think we're seeing between Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael on one side, Sinn Féin and everybody else or most other people on the uh, on the other. So I, I think there is a, a new 
cleavage, if we can call it that, um, emerging. I think it was it was always there, but you kind of had the two centre-right parties, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, and then Labour and the other parties on the other side. And, and the, like the, the numbers, the arithmetic is different now. Um, so, so I think that cleavage is, is, is certainly more clear-cut. And I think, you know, that will lend itself to, a, I suppose, a more clear-cut debate in future elections. But I think the one thing, though, is that there are some who claim to be of the left and yet then run away from, you know, it's always easier for somebody else to be paying. And then property tax is that really good example. And at the end of the day, none of us want to be paying tax, right? And, you know, that's just a simple reality. But again, going back to that thing, if we know it's going to pay for the bin collection, of course, it no longer pays for the bin collection. I wanted to be able to pay for the bin collection outside. But if we know if it pays for the roads, if it pays for our health service, whatever else, then it's an important thing to do. And I think in particular on, uh, on property tax, like there's just been a huge inconsistency, which in Fianna and indeed other parties who have just rejected it. Like at the end of the day, it, you know, it is a relatively... When you compare with the amounts that other people are paying in tax, the property tax payment, it is a big payment when it's three or four hundred euros, you know, in one installment or indeed spread out. But but the thing is, compared with other taxes, you know, it needs to be part of of that range of taxes that we pay. Those of us who who enjoy, you know, the the asset that is a house. Right. If we ever wanted to sell it on. Um, and who, you know, enjoyed mortgage interest relief when it was available that is not available to tenant to, to renters. And bearing in mind, there's a growing cohort of people that will never have benefited from mortgage interest relief. Like we have 30% of our population, not more, who are renting at the moment and will never expect to own their houses, never or to, to own a house during their lifetime. And so there is a growing divide um, between those who, who, who at some stage will own the asset, which is their house. Uh, and I don't like talking about houses as assets because it's a home, right, first and foremost. But in time when their mortgage is paid off, um, you know, and if they wanted to sell, you know, they, they, you know, they're able to do that, unlike somebody who's renting. So there are there is a cleavage there. But I think the other thing is as well that... Yeah. Is that a haves and have-nots cleavage? Uh, and I think that is, like, we see that in our labour market. We see that in, in, in housing, um, uh, in particular, when we look at our labour market at the moment, like the really striking thing, and there's a generational issue here, like when you look at the numbers who are dependent on the temporary wage subsidy scheme, the under 25s and the over 25s, I was just looking at the, this data the other day. So it, it, the over 25s, you're about 2.5 times uh, more likely to be on the pub payment than, uh, than you are on the temporary wage subsidy scheme. For the under 25s, it's almost four times more likely to be on the pub payment than on the temporary wage subsidy scheme. And that's a reflection of the insecurity of work just being in the door. And of course, we know there's going to be redundancies coming down the track and it's going to be first in, last out, and some not able to get work at all. So I think there's a huge issue coming down the line um, for those who, you know, are, are going to be new into a labour market and there's jobs simply not there or they're only going to be available in certain sectors. So we do have this Ireland now where there is the haves and the have-nots and, 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 and how we respond to that is going to be really important. I think it will be one of the things that defines the political choices, actually, that uh, that lie ahead of us when the pandemic passes and we move to a situation where political choices uh, can't be fudged. 
anymore. But listen, that's all we have time for uh, for this episode of Inside Politics. My thanks to Senator Marie Sherlock and to our own Cliff Taylor. The podcast was produced by Declan Conlon with JJ Vernon on sound. Until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much for listening.